0: So what these high net worth investors do is invest in these, these are the the country club deals, right? Right. You invest $50,000, $100,000 into an opportunity that is ran by a general partner. Somebody who finds this one in a thousand deal, um, operates it and pays out distributions like clockwork. Um, And you diversify, right? You give up control. You're not the operator, the semi-operator anymore. You're the pure passive investor and you're diversified in dozens of opportunities spread over different asset classes, different geographic areas, different business plans and different partners.
1: What's good everybody and thank you for tuning in to episode 78 of Highly Invested where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth and we ask entrepreneurs, high performers and content creators about the best investments they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. So today on the show we have the real estate investor behind simplepassivecashflow.com. This guest is an ex-civil engineer who now invests passively in a variety of real estate from Honolulu, Hawaii. He followed the linear career path until saving and investing helped him open his eyes to start his podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, on iTunes and Google Play, where he's documented his journey from owning 11 rental properties to becoming a real estate syndicator. So we're going to learn how he did it. Everyone, please welcome Lane Quoka. And we are live. Lane, how are you doing today, man?
0: Hey, pretty good here. Aloha, everybody.
1: Thank you for coming on. I wanted to ask you, for Hawaii, what are three reasons or three of your favorite things about living on the island?
0: uh we're a lot more community based out here everybody kind of knows each other uh when I lived in Seattle I mean you don't know your neighbor right you might say hi you might know his name but no but you probably
1: have assumptions eh
0: (laughs) yeah a little bit different here in Hawaii and it could be a bad thing everybody's up in each other's business but you know definitely community based uh number two is very expensive out here houses are probably more expensive than California but the the biggest thing, and probably thirdly, the wages are very low. When I moved out back out here and I still had my engineering gig, I mean, I took like a 30% pay cut easily. So.
1: But like to live in paradise and to have all those other things you don't get in a city, right? Like,
0: yeah, I mean, that's what money's that's for, right? That's what when you get passive income, do what you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, no, th- those are great points. And I mean, uh, it's on my destination somewhere I haven't been, but I think that community is so important. And you know, People are taking that concept online now, just like you are. So, do you mind sharing then? You grew up in Hawaii. So, what was the general consensus or um, uh, view on money just in your family or community? Was it something that you guys talked about openly or something that you didn't?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just like a lot of Asian families or immigrant families. I mean, you know, super frugal, right? Don't buy drinks when you go to the restaurant, right? (laughs) Get water. water, right? Like, yeah. I grew up very frugally. We weren't poor, but we lived like we were. But that's just how life was. And I kind of got groomed on this, what I call the linear path of be frugal with your money. Don't buy anything you can't afford. Study hard, go to school and work at that job for 40, 50 years in this 401k retirement system, right?
1: Yeah, that's the blueprint. And so uh, we'll start then. What did you end up studying to, to follow that path?
0: So I became an engineer um didn't really like it I just maybe I was happened to be good at math and science when I was eight or nine so I got put on that path okay but uh, I know definitely around when I was in high school I googled like what is like the highest paid salary without having to go to some master's or doctorate degree and it's an engineer so that's just what I became you know
1: (laughs) yeah fair it's it's interesting though right back then it's like maybe not a whole lot of thinking outside the box um but I mean clearly you've you've done something different but Um, and just curious, did you always have a passion for money, or was it something that you were interested at at a young age, or did that come a bit later?
0: Um, I think I was always pretty interested in money. Um, You know, money definitely drove me when I was younger. I always had money stashed away somewhere. Um, I take these personality tests, and then, yeah, that always comes up to the top, right, and then, you know, (laughs) arts and aesthetics is always way on the bottom, right, and that's just how I was wired, right, and not everybody's like that, but You know, some people are, and, you know, it's good that you know how to motivate them, right? Like, you know, it makes them tick and everybody ticks a little bit differently and motivated by different things. You have to figure out what that carrot is to get the end result.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, and so how long did you last as an engineer?
0: I lasted, I started working in 2007 and I think I finally quit my day job a few years back in 2018-ish. So I lasted a little over a decade. Learn a lot, you know, corporate America is not, you need to learn a lot in large systems, right? Um, The culture too. Yeah, culture, big systems of big companies. I work for the government, I work for private, Uh, actually work for a city, state government and federal. So I pretty much been in it all. You got all the experience. Well, yeah,
1: (laughs) definitely good for your learning curve. So were there any like certain takeaways from those experiences that stuck with you? Like important lessons? through, through those routes?
0: I mean, my first job was working for private, uh, I was a construction supervisor managing, uh, blue collar workforce, union based workforce. So a lot of management skills come through that. And a lot of the stuff I do today is strictly project management. Um, as an engineer, I was never the design engineer, you know, the geek squad in the office, designing okay. plans and specs.
1: So you're managing more or less.
0: Uh, yeah, I was more project management, aligning the consultants, the contractors, construction management firm, um, kind of the guy in the middle, which is exactly what I do today as the owner. Right. Um, so kind of got lucky. But yeah, like, you know, working in different employment systems, city, state, federal, and private, you see different structures, org structures, politics, you um, everyone is different there's a reason why there's different and today I can kind of cherry pick of which works best and I know what definitely doesn't so
1: that's a skill man right and that's a skill yeah. that comes with experience so good on you
0: yeah been there um, done that um is most smart people are in the job for six months you've kind of figured it, most of it out and it's time to move on for young people listening you know you take a job not to you try and take a job to kind of learn stuff and move on you know.
1: It's a great point. Thinking of how many times growing up I was taking job for the pay or like the money, like $12 an hour. Nice. When like, you should be thinking of what skill do I want to learn? What can I applicably take out of this? So um, right. fair, fair enough, man. And then tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate from there.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, just this kid who's taught to buy a house to live in, right? which I definitely don't really believe in. <laughs> Um, just following all the financial dogma out there, you know, just eating it like a smorgasbord. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I bought a house, I saved my money. I was really good at my mon- money saving, right? You right. know, I wasn't quite getting paid six figures, but pretty dang close. So I was able to save like 30, 40 grand a year out of college, at least. So I saved up to buy a house in Seattle, Washington. Price was 350. I needed my 20% down payment. So it was like 70, 80 grand out of pocket. Then I, because I was never home, because I was traveling all the time for work, I was actually only going home on Saturdays. I was like, this is a little silly. Let me just rent this thing out. So the rents for $2,200 a month, the mortgage, insurance, taxes, uh, was $1,600. And I was like, wait a minute. Like If I just keep doing this a few more times, I'll be able to quit my job and fire my boss. Uh, so that's where I started to get really sophisticated into what I was buying. And that was where it all started. You know, I got that taste of cash flow
1: that's amazing it's like you didn't even do it on purpose in a way and you just saw that come in and it's addicting isn't it
0: right right i mean Very it's so. it, it's it's a no-brainer right like when i was investing in a rental property simple rental property wasn't even that great of one uh you know i was making like 30 percent on my money uh when you include you know the cash flow that you're getting the the rents exceeding expenses repairs maintenance professional property management uh the tenants paying down your mortgage for you, so they're in turn having that equity build up for you. The principal pay down, yep. the tax benefits, which we can get into later, and the property's appreciating too, hopefully. And it's appreciating leveraged. So when you add all that up, um, it's like thirty something percent. And if you guys don't believe me, I do a little whiteboard video on my website, slash returns but I look over at my stocks that i diligently was putting money into my 401k and a lot of people in my tribe are the max out your 401k kind of guys absolutely not not the way you want to go
1: <laughs> right. now, do, you, do you have a theory that at least like if your employer is matching then just then take advantage of that but not necessarily maxing it out for the potential guess, tax. yes
0: but like your return is going to be higher with the other stuff even with free money yeah. Right. The problem with the free money is you got to stick around to capitalize on it, or get it from them.
1: It's true. Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, I get it. Like, it took me a while to totally get rid of the retirement fund system money
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just go 100% into alternative assets. Um, try it out. But, like, I would say most people, yeah, stop doing the maxing out your 401k. That's a big mistake. Um, but then it's it's confusing, right? Because you hear all this stuff out here. in personal finance blog sphere everyone's maxing out their their 401ks right but then within that sector you have the real estate people which I would consider myself in where we're taking out debt to buy assets to produce a lot more income get the mortgage pay down and we are not doing any of this retirement fund type of stuff and I have a variety of reasons why I don't do it but yeah, a lot of us don't do any of these retirement things. And it's very counterintuitive, even to you know, your, your personal finance readers, right?
1: Yeah, it's so true. Well, what do you think about having a retirement age, which seems so preposterous to me now, than having a retirement number, right? Like you need a million and a half invested in a dividend paying asset in order for that to cover your monthly expenses at 65 or something like that. Have you ever, right. did, did that cross your mind that it didn't make much sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's fundamentally wrong with finan- all the financial dogma out there. It's predicated on this accumulation theory that you're saying that you, you need to build up, maybe not a million and a half, but now it's like two to four million, right? right?
1: It's like,
0: geez, how does everyone ever get that when you're growing at a turtle space? But anyway, that's what you're told to do. Yeah. But then when you hit end game, you're like, well, I need to put food on the table. I can't just like take this out and spend it. I need cash flow. So you need to transition your portfolio from accumulation to cash flow. So I say, well, why not end begin begin with the end in mind, right? Create cash flow streams today, which you can live off of. But the beauty of this stuff is most people have a day job, and they can use these crap cash flow streams to build up even more assets, right? So in the beginning, I was buying a property just as I could save it, right? But as I bought more and more properties, now I was able to maybe buy two a year,
1: right? You're able to scale up yourself. And although you're mainly focused in real estate, do you take advantage of the Roth IRA? No, no. I don't want any of that stuff. But the Roth IRA is 100% tax-free. So that's
0: just what they they think you are. Yeah, it is. But it's essentially you pay your taxes in the beginning. No, well, no.
1: You're thinking a traditional Roth. A traditional Roth, you don't pay tax when you put the money in or you get tax exempt now. But then in the future, you get taxed 4% on any withdrawal, right? That's the traditional Roth. But the Roth IRA, unlike Canada, we can actually withdraw early. But in the US, the Roth IRA, you can contribute up to 6,000 a year, but it grows 100% tax-free, 100% tax-free.
0: Well, either way, pre-tax, post-tax, I don't like it.
1: But do you do I... it, it's different that at least you're, you've already paid tax. You're planting after-tax dollars. At least then you're never getting taxed on it ever again. They say, so they say, but.
0: Yeah. So I, I would want to invest cash so I can get passive activity losses from said investments. And but I mean, is, that's
1: what you do. You contribute cash to your Roth IRA, right?
0: Either way. Once, be, once, once you hold the assets within a retirement account. It's Roth, not a retirement account.
1: It's, it's a Roth. It's a different account. So
0: anyways. Is it a, is it a qualified retirement plan?
1: It's a, registered, it's a registered U.S. account that say it's a tax sheltered account. So I know in Canada, exactly. we call it a registered Retirement or registered tax friendly account in Canada. That's the TFSA. And then in the US, you have the Roth IRA, which is your variation of it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, here, here's the reason why we don't like it, right? Because when you invest in one of these vehicles, you don't get the passive activity losses from said investment within that vehicle.
1: And what is a, pa- and- what is a passive? What is that? Yeah. Do you mind? So, explaining?
0: with real estate, one of the biggest advantages. But again,
1: again, I'm just saying it's not real estate. So, it's just a different game. So anyway, we'll get into your, your expertise then. Might as well, because... But yeah,
0: great. I mean, you... But that's exactly what you can do. You can invest in real estate within these retirement accounts or that Roth IRA that you're talking about.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I'm a stock market investor. And so therefore, my idea is just contribute into that account, invest in undervalued assets, and then grow your wealth Yeah, so But
0: you- I mean, maybe we should talk about this because yeah, there's yeah. four big reasons why I don't like any retirement accounts, period. First, uh, tax bracket. I mean, it's all predicated that you're going to shrivel up and die when you get older and make less money. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be a much more baller status in the future.
1: I'm going to live to 100, and, 100 dude. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to live to 100, but I know certainly when I get to that age, I'm going to be making a heck of a lot of money and be, or being in a higher tax bracket. Therefore, reason number one, pay my taxes today while I'm in a lower tax bracket. Reason number two, once you have your money in there, the, the government essentially can tax you at whatever you want. Now, you might mitigate this by doing a Roth IRA component instead of the pre-tax 401k or a regular IRA. I get it. But now, once you're in a retirement account, like I said, if you're doing the pre-tax or if you're doing the Roth IRA, sorry, you're getting the pass. You don't get the passive activity losses from the investment.
1: Yeah. So this what is, is the passive activity loss? I'm curious.
0: With so that. passive activity losses are you have a lot paper losses coming from the investment and you don't, this is why I don't do any kind of stocks or mutual funds or any paper or fake assets. Right. Right. These are like the tax advantages of doing real estate. And this is why all these guys do it. Right. Um, so to kind of break it down, you know, you have the property value, right. And you have the land value and you have the actual improvement value, which is like the building. Mm-hmm. So the tax code says you can deduct the building value, not the land, for single family house over 27 years. So if your property is a million dollar property, and let's just say two thirds of it, 600 grand is the, uh, the improvement, 600 grand divided by 27, let me kind of just do the quick math here. Yeah,
1: you, I can't do that one too quickly.
0: 600 grand divided by 27 is $22,000 approximately a year if losses you can take on that asset. So that will probably exceed how much money you made in that investment. So this is how you're creating this phantom loss or this paper loss that you can use to zero out how much money you make. And And that can be used to offset your passive income but it can also be used to offset your ordinary income. So I have a lot of doctor clients that make 600 grand a year. And if they employ a real estate professional designation on their taxes, now they can use these losses to offset their ordinary income, effectively saving them 50 cents on every dollar. Ah. All these tricks and games of the wealthy, you don't do it when you go to one of these like IRAs, Roth IRAs, QRPs, 401ks,
1: yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, again, I'm not saying that you can't because I like, I mean, you, you can in a way, uh, if you pick undervalued assets and they increase in capital gains and you don't pay tax, then there's clearly a benefit, but I understand what you're saying as well. There's a lot more into the real estate. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't,
0: I don't particularly like real estate. I don't care about buildings and stuff like that, but course. I'm just kind of going with the outside pitch here. And, you know, yeah. it's, I have to make like way, way more gains with a stock or selling a regular asset than with real estate because of the these tax these hidden tax benefits that the wealthy are very keen and tied into.
1: Now how long did it take you to really master learning all of these passive activity losses and different tax credits that you can actually get from real estate?
0: I it's it's actually really simple, right? That's why the website's called Simple Passive Cash Show. And this is right, what right, frustrates right. me. It's super simple. Got smart guy like yourself you'll pick it up in like maybe 20, 30 minutes. I mean, people- I, I, I'm, are- I'm
1: intrigued, man. Cause I just want to yeah. say like, just the concept though is like, I mean, I, I hear that you you go your route, but just not to say that you can't take advantage of a tax-friendly account because I, you know, just to give you a bit of insight, I'm a cannabis investor. Like I've been watching the space for two years and I know the US is going to legalize this year and there's going to be a massive boom. And just since the summer till now, I've forexed my, my investment money. And the nice part is, is just because it's in that tax-friendly account, I'll never have to pay taxes on it and I can withdraw 100% tax-free. So just there are benefits. I just think it depends on which sure. avenue you want to go down.
0: Well, the problem the problem with like, if you, yeah, you, you don't get taxed on the gains and put all of the tax benefits aside that I just mentioned that effectively, now you have to 4X your money to get 2X, right? Because you're not pay, you're paying taxes on that. You paid it in the I'm beginning. I'm not paying tax,
1: no. But here's the I, difference. I, I here's a the second. Beginning. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So here's the difference too. With real est- with when you're in one of these retire these accounts, you cannot effectively get good leverage. The lenders will not give you lending. You're investing a one for one. But I'm when I put that- my, yes,
1: yeah, right, down. I'm growing. Cash. But with
0: real estate, I mean the government is kind of begging us to do this and effectively us giving us one to five leverage, and that's the that's the key differential.
1: Yeah, right? no, that makes sense. I mean, I'm glad we're having this convo because it's 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 making it yeah. more clear that I'm still paying tax in the beginning when I get paid the money which I'm not considering. Um, so yeah, carry on, tell me a bit more yeah. than um, what- but like,
0: your- I mean, this is this is like exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like smart guys like yourself, um, unless you find somebody by chance, or I didn't find this, I mean, I was investing in single family homes from 2009 to 2015. Right. At that point was when I took a pivot, when I started to join and pay for different masterminds and get around other accredited high net worth investors. Right. A lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, a lot of engineers, a lot of guys, 10, 20 years older than myself. And this is all the stuff they do, but it's very different than what your parents taught you. And also, especially what you see on, you know, whether they go heads or all these like mainstream financial sites that are supposedly, you know, kind of smart. Right. Right.
1: Well, it's, there's like, a lot of repetition and no, I do appreciate because you're giving me an education in this too. There's um, so you found obviously most of the you know, nuggets of information have come from meeting those uh, high net worth investors that you sort right. of... Right. Your network
0: is your net worth, as they say, right?
1: Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, okay, cool. And then, so can you describe a little bit about a real estate syndicator?
0: Yeah. Um, so once I got up to 11 rental properties, I realized that it wasn't quite scalable, right? Like it got my net worth up to be 600, 700,000. It took a long time. But that's just how this system is, right? Like, I'm not a house flipper. I'm not a a wholesaler, right? That's more active real estate investing. And and quite frankly, a lot of lower net worth guys have to do that. The stuff that I do are for financially responsible professionals who, you know, they make a good living and they're able to save their money and put it to passive and buy and hold investments, right? And so that's what I did. Essentially bought a rental property every year to build it up to 11 rentals in six, seven years. Okay. But then with 11 rentals at a few hundred dollars of cash flow each, you know, do the math, right? $3,000 a passive cash flow a month. Not bad, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? But I don't know what American or Canadian family can survive off $3,000, right?
1: No, It seems like you're quite leveraged too. And there's just a lot more risk at that point than potential reward for what you're putting in, right?
0: Well, it's... It's pretty low risk, right? Because if you look at the granular level, every investment I'm going into or what I advocate, we're investing for cash flow. We're not investing for appreciation. Like we're not investing in Seattle, Los Angeles, California, like these cyclical markets. We're investing in these boring places where essentially the rents are $1,000. We pay our, our mortgage or we pay our property manager. We pay rents or repairs. We pay maintenance, put some money into cash reserves for big things and then we pay the mortgage and we're left over with this little portion that is called true cash flow right okay. and this happens every month right yeah some months you might have a big expense some you might not have any but on average right this this is how prudent of investment when you invest for cash flow is you don't care what the prices go up and down it's always a great time to buy as long as it's cash flow
1: right but
0: that's what's happening on the grand level and you have an army or well, I had 11 of these things but you know it's not incredibly scalable because with 11 of these properties, I had some eviction or two every year, some kind of big issue that happened every quarter, like a tree falling on the house or something like that. Or, or, you know, there was a storm that flooded out the basement or something, you know, but the the property manager takes care of all that stuff. But still, you know, if I need $10,000 passive a month, I'm going to need 30 third of these properties, so 3x all those numbers, so an eviction every other month, right. and it's kind of a big issue that happens every couple of weeks. Not scalable, right? So this is where I kind of started searching and found these private placements and syndications that these higher net worth investors were doing, and then I found it. I was like, this is it. So what these high net worth investors do is invest in these, these are the, the country club deals, right? right. You invest... into an opportunity that is ran by a general partner, somebody who finds this one in a thousand deal, um, operates it and pays out distributions like clockwork. Um, And you diversify, right? You give up control. You're not the operator, the semi-operator anymore. You're the pure passive investor and you're diversified in dozens of opportunities spread over different asset classes, different geographic areas, different business plans and different partners.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And so, so you think, well, I mean, not that you think, you know, these opportunities wouldn't have come if it wouldn't have been for a chance meeting or like this opportunity.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you find one person, you start, you're start to aware of it. Right. And then you start to, you know, like you hear the passive activity losses offsetting income. Um, I mean, I would go take a look at my tax guide, com slash tax. Now you're going to start to like, be aware of it. Right. And it's going to be you're always kind of learning right you always got to kind of learn and that's what even i try and do today because there's always some kind of new kind of legal structure people are playing around with or yeah, some different don't. way of not paying taxes
1: well it's funny because i've actually just gotten to the point where after, at the end of this month i can quit my job and i'll have a nice fat nest egg but from that point i'm like okay what's next <laughs> what do i do with this cash or what do i do with um and so i mean yeah cash flow is important and thankfully i've become financially literate enough to invest uh and take care of myself in that sense but still yeah like, like you say good to find opportunity elsewhere that I mean cash flow at the end of the day is the most important thing so yeah, yeah simple passive cash flow when did you end up starting this idea
0: so I started back in 2016 because at the time I was still kind of buying single family homes uh, remotely I was in Seattle buying it in Birmingham Atlanta Indianapolis and you know all my friends were asking me like how I was doing this and <laughs> And were you As we all know with
1: spots or did like were you able to buy from Seattle or did you go and check those out?
0: Yeah, we don't we don't visit them. We buy them, you know, buy them a lot, sight unseen. Yeah. Um, sounds crazy, but that's just how we do it. You know, it's not worth our time to go, you know, visit property. I mean, what the heck do we know? We're passive investors. We hire professionals to inspect the property. We hire professionals like property managers, they kind of vet the area. So right? so they,
1: all it is, all you need is cash to essentially get in on one of these deals, technically though
0: cash and a little bit of education Help. right yeah, but you know i mean like you know as you start to move up the the, the pyramid right like startup and i'm starting to get into startup investing right you're not going to know everything about the little business right it becomes so much more high level so this is kind of partway there right you're still buying properties you're still in the middle rung so you're gonna have to do your due diligence of course yeah but it's not it's not as involved as people think and that, that was where, like, I would say the first, if you you guys are looking to buy rental properties and get started, definitely non accredited investors, um, check out the first dozen podcasts. It's all about, like, what to look for, what numbers, how did you get the numbers? A lot of it is just number based, right? Because you're buying commodities at the end of the day. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't realize how
1: many levels there were <laughs> to the game. It's never end.
0: Yeah. Ends. I mean, it's it, well, there's two levels, right? When you're, I mean, first of all, like, the people that I work with, we're good at it with our money, right? Not broke, right? We've got at least 20 grand to put into a property. Right. Um, I would say recommend my prescription is start off with a single family home rental, learn the business, start to build a little bit of track record so you can have an intelligent conversation with another accredited investor when you do find one, right? Right. Um, get your net worth up to be a quarter million, half a million dollars, and then maybe look into these private placements and syndications, Right. It's it's all the progression of an investor.
1: It makes sense. No, I appreciate you bringing this up to me because it's like, yeah, I guess you just kind of keep climbing as you educate yourself, right? Now, um, just with simple passive cash flow because I want to get to the main question and then we'll jump back into sort of what you offer and whatnot. Um, But so what was the original idea with that? And then what do you offer now? Like, how has it sort of evolved just from 2016 to now?
0: Yeah, the, the original idea was just like, man, all my friends like keep asking me the same damn questions. And I'm sure like, I'm sure you get this and a lot of people listening, right? Who are good with their money. Like people ask you the same question but nobody does anything about it, right? That's
1: the hard part. And especially when you're friends, <laughs> you're like, please take the advice, do it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Like I told you what the best credit card to get. It's a 2% double cash card. You haven't done it for six months. What the heck are you doing, right? Yeah. You could imagine what it is to buy uh, property 2,000 miles away in Birmingham right there's a lot more steps involved a lot more barrier to entry you actually got to put down 20 grand people weren't doing it right so I got frustrated so I made this podcast and just record it before I forget it all so I just put it out there and then it got really popular and then you know personally I was kind of like I said I was kind of moving up to being an accredited investor and then investing in these private placements and syndications so right Um, and I met met all these people and then, you know, all these, these passive activity losses, real estate professional status, um, different tax and legal strategies, infinite banking that the wealthy do. I started to cover that on the podcast as kind of my own progression started to go through it.
1: Sorry. Can you list some of those things again, just so I can write them down and ask you about them after.
0: Yeah. Passive activity losses, real estate professional status, infinite banking, Uh, irrevocable trust you know these are all kinds of more higher net worth accredited investor strategies right and you know like a lot of this is creating your own dynasty plan right now that you're not broke in our world million dollars or less you know it's kind of sad to say that but it's the truth right like until you get up to that platform you don't have very many options available to you That's why you've got to save up money. It's so
1: true, man. Like, it's just, it's, it's just expanding my horizon in a way. So,
0: um, cool. So you start with, and that was for me, right? The podcast was like me going through it and kind of learning it all.
1: Well, I imagine Um, you're bringing on these, these network or these people you network with and you meet, right. And through these conversations, uh, you obviously learned all this.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, but I've got to be careful like who you bring on. Everybody jumps on podcasts and there's a lot, of, still a lot of charlatans. I mean, that's the big thing when you become an accredited investor, your network is so much more important because there's a lot of charlatans in this arena, right? You don't know who to trust. Yeah. Everybody can get on a podcast. So this is why like, I keep stressing like meet other pure passive investors that actually do this stuff that are financially free themselves that you build organic relationships with. Because not only that's where you're going to find the best practices for tax and legal, because it changes every two years, right? President changes, Senate con, Senate mix, uh, House mix changes, new tax laws get put in, always changes. Um, But also, where do you go for your CPA, your lawyer, um, your second lawyer that does your trust, right? All these these vendors. So I started to learn about another term called family offices. You can put that on your list too. So traditionally. Those are family 50K off fifty
1: k or fifty million dollar net worth people. That's crazy.
0: Usually a hundred million dollar net worth and above. So people don't know what it is. Essentially, think of like Alfred the Batman. <laughs> the he bo- just ran ran all the stuff, except with all the gadgetry. But like for high net worth families, like the Rockefellers, you know, how do they are how are they able to create their trust system where they own everything, or don't they don't want to own anything? They want to control everything right. within trusts. Yeah. to get rid of that legal liability thing but that's a side note but they they strategically invest and they have these advisors but what i sought out to create was for those of us who are 10 20 million dollars and less we can't afford that stuff <laughs> right no. So we have we have to kind of peer group it together and you know in a more of a group setting I created the family office Ohana mastermind, which is a group setting of high net worth accredited investors that aren't quite 50, hundred million dollar net worth yet. Right. But we're getting there and we're going to kind of pull each other up and kind of so- crowdsource best operators to work with best practices to do. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what I've created. Cause that's just what I do myself. Um, a lot of us are oh, actually all of us are first generation wealth. And what that is, is, you know, we weren't born with a million dollar net, or family wasn't a million dollar net worth. We are the first generation of a million dollar accredited net worth.
1: And it's very different. Sorry, finish. Yeah. Oh,
0: it's very, very different than trust fund kids out there, right? They just do whatever. (laughs) And they often lose it.
1: The hard part is preserving it. So let's ask the three big questions then, and then we'll get back into it. Because and this is a lot of fun. I, th- I think this is going to be very valuable for, for any listeners. But what would you say are the three of the biggest investments you've made in yourself that helped get you to where you are now?
0: Well, first one, all, is actually doing it, right? Like, I think this is all jump-started by going out and buying rental property. Uh, I follow the 70-20-10 rule, which is 70% is doing it. 20% is uh, having a peer group to ca- kind of bounce ideas off. And only 10% is reading books and podcasts. right Right. go out and do it and you're going to learn uh the next best thing was actually actually after i got to a certain point i started to pay to up level my network Uh, a lot of these masterminds cost like 25 grand a year to join right when i first did them i thought it was crazy but yeah i mean i'll tell you what like once you get around legit people things just kind of take that next next step but i think it's more of a you know taking yourself from 50 miles an hour up to 100 Right. right. But you got to get off yourself, the gas
1: at the same time.
0: <laughs> right. You got to get yourself going from zero to 61st. And that's the off. That's the hardest part to be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, great analogies, man. Yeah. And what would be number three?
0: Overlay of cash. I don't know. Just traveling, getting around people, just kind of all that type of stuff.
1: Well, network, right. If anything, like how valuable that is building that over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It costs money. Right. It
1: does nice and so yeah. Well, then let's jump back in. If if we will, let let's take it a step back. Then just to for people that want to get into real estate to begin with, just as an expert that's been through it, um, what would just be some of the most important things people need to look out for, uh, once they're getting into real estate?
0: Yeah, buying for cash flow, right? Because Warren Buffett's rule is don't lose money. How do you do that? Well, you make sure you cash flow. So. You know, people can go on my website, get my free analyzer. I think it's at simplepass at slash analyzer. It's spelled weird though. <laughs> it's spelled with a Z, okay. I think. That's but right. But like, yeah, like, so you're looking for a property that's 1% rent-to-value ratio or higher. So the rent-to-value ratio is a quick and dirty way of kind of analy- analyzing a property. So you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price. So we're looking for something 1% or higher. So folks in BC or California you find a place in the ghetto that's 400 grand that rents for $2000 a month right 2000 divided by 400 grand is not for percent and not going to work no 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 right we don't invest in that type of stuff yeah it could go up in value but we're cash flow investors and we consider that gambling right rule number 1 don't lose money right so we look for properties that are 1% or higher so a lot of times it's like a $100,000 house out in a more of a secondary tertiary market so, we don't invest in places like Seattle, California, pretty much all of Canada, uh, New York, Boston. We go to secondary markets like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Little Rock.
1: Growing markets, right?
0: Right. Well, not the not really growing, growing, but the... not the sexy hit places to live, right?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: Sometimes you even got to go to a tertiary market, but at least stay over a population of a quarter million, right? As opposed right. to these small, polo towns. With a non-diverse economy, so I mean that if you stay above the one percent rule, that's that's pretty much good enough for a podcast advice right there, right? But then you got to dig into the, the the analyzer that I have, has all the footnotes and like, all right, how do you break down the expenses, repairs, maintenance, capex, property management, vacancy, um, and kind of get more and more, um, you know, educated on like how the numbers actually break down after the whole general 1% rule.
1: Right, yeah. But again, I, I like how you put it that way because it's just, if it's not 1%, you don't even consider it, it's not worth it.
0: Because Yeah, it's like Tinder, you know, swipe left, yeah. swipe right. <laughs> don't even like look at like the words, right? Yeah, you gotta have that
1: rule. Otherwise you're, you're gonna break it every time, yeah.
0: Yeah, or you're just gonna waste a lot of time, right? I mean, there's a lot of properties out there. How do you quickly determine it? I mean, look, if you wanna invest your appreciation, be my guest. Yeah. But when you're investing for cash flow, you kind of hedge yourself quite a bit. That's
1: a good point. Yeah, you do. As long as it's coming in at some point. Well, that's one reason why I do have, invest in real estate investment trusts. I don't, you know, at least I'm not, I'm diversified enough, but it pays me cash flow every month. Yeah. So it's one of those things.
0: Well, here, okay. So here's the, one of the big overlying things. Like we try to go straight to the operator and we try to, or invest in the properties ourselves. So here's my problem with REITs. Mm-hmm. REITs are essentially like mutual funds. We don't like mutual funds.
1: What a lot I of do, these... They don't charge an annual they don't charge an annual MER for management.
0: That's fees. not as true. Dude. <laughs> they well, I mean, hide all this investor,
1: I don't pay it. My read, I, I get just I get paid my monthly dividend every single Okay, well,
0: you tell me, how am I making thirty percent on my money when I'm doing it myself or in a syndication? But how is and it like how, a
1: mutual fund? How is it like a mutual fund, though? That's what I'm curious.
0: A REIT is a mutual fund, except it's just trust. pretty much, which is, it, whatever, whether you call it a trust right. or a fund, it's it operates as the same thing. Okay, it's run enough. by Wall Street. How else do they have these large buildings? Well, I mean, besides
1: all the money. Um, I, I know, I, I understand what you're saying. Right? I mean, here,
0: here's the thing, right? It's, it's, it's a discussion on, like, those are retail investments. Right. I don't go, I don't shop at Newman Marcus. I don't shop at Nordstrom, right? Right. I go to more. I cut out the middleman because at the end of the day, as an investor, those are my returns. And this is what frustrates me about mainstream financial dogma. I mean, my parents diligently put money into all these mutual funds. These, these no expense ratio nonsense.
1: Well, no, no. I mean, because well, again, though, what you're you, you got to clarify because what your parents were invested in, they were paying someone to manage it for them. But it was structured in a way that it benefits the institution and not your parents. Well, even However, index funds. All I'm saying, well, again, all I'm saying is a real estate in- investment trust. I invest directly in it with my account. Therefore, there's no management fee. So although it's designed like a mutual fund and like a fund, um, I would just say that, again, just throwing mutual fund around, it's not, not exactly the same, but I totally agree because my parents have gone through the same thing yours has. And I imagine most parents have.
0: So, right. But at, you know, at the end of the day, where is your highest returns? where are you getting your returns and where is your money leaking out right uh, i mean and if you're getting numbers... cash
1: flow then you're covering that base i think as much
0: right money, money doesn't lie or you know numbers don't lie yeah. um i don't i don't believe in the easter bunny anymore and i also don't believe that retail investments are the way to go
1: yeah that's fair and i mean again not that i'll always be in them but i'm just i wanted to mention that i have a reit because of that cash flow and i quite enjoy it um but yeah no no absolutely yeah REITs
0: don't REITs also don't give you the passive activity losses and that type of stuff either
1: yeah no it's okay but I reinvest for the compound growth like 30 to 40 years down the line since I don't pay tax on on so do I
0: yeah right I'm just saying I'm just saying man
1: man. that's okay and retail retail
0: versus
1: yeah exactly
0: um, I mean wholesale yeah
1: yeah. It's just, it, it's your approach versus mine. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge so that I can learn a little bit more about you um, and your approach now with the new Biden administration coming in. Is there any sort of changes to real estate that you're aware of as of now that um, any U S investors, uh, regardless of what level they're at, should be aware of?
0: There is the $15,000 first time home buyer credit that's come in, probably going to be signed through, but, you know, I think most mainstream, um, new sources will kind of give it too much uh, importance. I mean, I've, I've been through a market cycle, like the last time it didn't really, I mean, maybe it pushed things up for a couple months, but it's, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of the greater demand supply curve. Wow. I think it's a great way if you're looking to buy a house, which I don't think most people should, especially if you're under a million or $2 million net worth, I think you should invest it instead. But that can be a good option for you to take advantage of. But um,
1: I'm just curious when you say invested instead, invested in what?
0: Um, buying rentals or any assets that produce you, you know, ten to fifteen percent or more.
1: Gotcha. As opposed to buying to live in it. Yeah. Now, lastly, yeah. Uh, what does the term mastermind mean to you?
0: Mastermind is a high, is a group of individuals that are sort of on the same level, heading into the right direction. It can be a you know, a bunch of beginners can be some intermediate people can be advanced, but it's just some people kind of loosely holding people accountable and sharing best practices okay. for whatever yeah. direction you're heading off. Have That's... you
1: read the law of success by Napoleon Hill?
0: Um, no, no, but I mean, this is kind of covered a lot in like Think and Grow Rich, right? You've got um, the vagabonds. It, it, throughout history, there's dozens of these, these groups. Um,
1: yeah. No, it's yeah. great. And, and yeah, do you mind elaborating it in a bit on, on how, why you think it's so valuable? Because I do agree when you've got multiple people in harmony with the same goal, it creates that mastermind.
0: Yeah, I think, I think masterminds are good once you get yourself up and going, you know, you're, you're humming along at 25 miles an hour, and you've kind of done something. I think it can take you to the next level when you find synergies with other people, and at least you're kind of finding the right path for you to go. And and it can be a little bit of accountability for yourself that you have a peer group. Um, Where likely a lot of us, I mean, especially if you're in the cubicle world, you know, most people are just talking about maxing out your 401k, you know, investing in mutual funds, all that type of stuff. But I will, the warning, I would say, like, if you are starting out, go on and do it and buy a property and get started or, you know, just get yourself an inch off the ground. Because I do see a lot of, you know, fake masterminds out there that are just kind of looking and preying on people to take their five or $20,000. So I would kind of discourage kind of starting out with one.
1: Good point. Yeah, probably try to get at least some steam going and uh, before then, like you mentioned, at least at sixty, yeah.
0: right?
1: it's a good concept because it's like a corporation, right? That's why you have to incorporate because you're kind of multiple people creating this entity, and that's your minds together. That's actually like been able to build these massive corporations throughout time, which is really cool. Same concept. Yeah, um, yeah, great. And can you tell us a bit more about your podcast? Uh, how's that going? And what's what's the title? Simple passive cash flow.
0: Yeah, Simple Passive cash flow found on iTunes, Google Play. A lot of the earlier podcasts were buying single-family home rentals, but lately as it became more of an accredited investor, the content has kind of switched to you know, investing in syndications, private placements, uh, creating infinite banking, banking firms, our, ourselves, more higher net worth, tax, and legal strategies. Basically creating your own family office uh, and a lot of kind of subject matter on that type of stuff.
1: Okay, well, the, well, the, since you mentioned it, do you mind explaining what infinite banking is, that term? Because I've never heard that one before.
0: Yeah, so infinite banking is basically using whole life insurance configured in a unique way. Now, this isn't the whole life insurance that your long-lost college buddy who you've never seen for five or ten years calls you up for lunch and tries to sell you.
1: Yeah. It's using
0: the same product, but it's configured very differently than they would to optimize for liquidity. Of course, so, so it's actually the,
1: stri- it's, it's made to benefit the, the client as opposed to the the person selling it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you got to give up. You're not doing it for the death payout and you're not doing it for the, the returns, right? You're actually lowering those so you can optimize and maximize the liquidity. So essentially what we're doing is we're getting this life insurance contract on ourselves, funding it, but taking the money right back out and investing the cash value. In turn, taking a loan from ourselves, which is a tax deductible, the interest that grows in there is tax free, and that's the little loophole why we use life insurance, because life insurance just happens to be tax free. Right. But also for you know high net worth folks, it's just another great place to store capital uh, that is off the table of litigators too, because asset protection is kind of becomes more important as you become more of a credit investor.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, again, I imagine it's just little tricks that you learn along the way. Um, but I'll definitely check out your podcast because that's uh, something I haven't heard yet. And I want to learn a lot more about that and see what avenues there are.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then so like, how many properties are you invested in today? Technically, is, is it able to are you able to pin that down or since since you use the syndication style is it a lot different?
0: Yes, yeah, so yeah. unit count is around 4,500 units right now, most of which are apartments. I think over like 25 apartments at this point, uh, six mobile home parks, uh, some office space in there too. But that's kind of what the portfolio kind of looks like today.
1: Okay, nice. And um, when, was, when were you able to finally move back to Hawaii and realize that you could sort of ditch the, the city buzz to go back and enjoy like the sunshine?
0: Um I don't know, I probably did it too late, but that, that that was maybe about four years ago, I think. Yeah. Hawaii's expensive, but you know, I mean that's what financial freedom does, right? It allows you to do what you want with whom you want on your terms. Exactly. You know, money's not everything, but it sure gives you options.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree, man. It's not for everybody, but I definitely realizing that there's just there's those who value money and those that don't. There's a very <laughs> yeah. wide, wide gap there. Now So, what's your view on buying versus renting? Like, do do you consider renting a complete waste of money?
0: Uh, I think I'll be very careful with my words here. (laughs) I think most people suck at personal finances, right? They get five hundred bucks, they spend it. (laughs) Therefore, most people should buy a house to live in, because it's a for savings account. Yeah, but. People at my tribe, you know, folks like yourself, probably people listening, right? We're probably better than the average bear at saving money.
1: And I think we're the type that is trying to, or at least trying to improve our situation because- Right, right. We didn't have everything, putting the,
0: right. Putting in the effort, right? Listening to a podcast about finances, right? Those of us, it's probably better. I mean, the numbers don't lie, right? Run the numbers yourself, guys. Like when you put money into your house, you are effectively just keeping up with the pace of inflation right but when you're investing in a bunch of rental properties like you're making cash flow your tenants paying down your mortgage th- that is the delta here yeah right like a lot of people i could buy a house here in hawaii and as opposed to buying a house here in hawaii that just goes up with the pace of inflation uh, i could buy probably five or six houses or maybe maybe even 10 houses in birmingham that all appreciate that all my parents are paying down my mortgage for me, getting that equity built up and they're all appreciating, but you know, I, I, I stop arguing people. I'm like, yeah, here's a spreadsheet, go and figure it out, go figure out what's going to happen in five years and 10 years. And you tell me which, when you're, which path you're going to choose.
1: Yeah, no, I, exactly. Numbers don't lie. And most people don't take the time to learn the language of numbers. So yeah. they're lost.
0: I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, people don't want it to go into debt. They want to feel like they own their own house, but you never own your own house. I mean, you always got to pay taxes on it. And at the end of the day, to me, sophisticated investors, they don't pay attention to the interest rates they pay or, um, you know, how much debt they're in. Right. They look at what really matters, which is what is your net worth and where is your cash flow at? Those right. are the real, true, important things. But if you notice, everybody out there is concerned, oh, my, the interest rate I'm paying, what is this, right? I mean, the, the the lenders always use that to get you to refinance so they can get their le- loan origination fee again.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's just so much more if you dig underneath, right? It's, it's right there if you want to look.
0: Yeah, but if, if, I mean, if everybody just went out today, bought a rental property, <laughs> and in a few years bought another, and maybe bought another, you'd be financially free and like, yeah, a decade or, you know, decade or so. Right.
1: I agree. Yeah. Just, or even just renting out your basement and then raising your family on the top floor, just so that the, whoever's living down there is paying. It's just so many different ways, better ways to do the, yeah. the dogma. So,
0: yeah. I mean, if people did that, they would not have to work and society would crumble. Right. Like we cannot have this happen, <laughs> <That's true>. right. It's <laughs> just why we need to brainwash everybody to invest <laughs> in mutual funds and REITs and all this stuff and just do it the traditional way
1: oh the more I learn the more <laughs> I have
0: no idea <laughs> and we need people to pay taxes we don't want them to use these passive activity losses so we need to keep them in retirement accounts investing in that you know and let's trick them because they, they think it's like growing tax free yeah well it is but they're giving up all this other stuff
1: yeah a lot more to it man um any yeah well so Few things just to round off. Then, what are you most proud of this year? What's something you managed, or let's say twenty twenty, because we're now in twenty twenty one. What's uh, what's something you accomplished in twenty twenty that you're most proud of?
0: Uh, we acquired four more, five more assets uh, in the midst of a pandemic, and uh, you know normally we collect ninety seven percent of our rents. You're going to have a few deadbeats out of a hundred. Right. Uh, through the worst of the pandemic, it went down to like ninety five percent on average. We still make money when we're collecting six, mid 60% in rents. We didn't get close to that.
1: Right. And And now we,
0: now, now we come out of the pandemic and I'm like, shoot, this is why we invest in workforce housing.
1: And let me ask you, so when you're buying these secondary or when you're investing in these tertiary secondary markets, um, in these places where like unit much larger units, when, when the government says, okay, well, you don't have to pay rent for six months. Is that a benefit that goes just directly to you guys? Or are you guys like benefited from that?
0: A lot of that that news is more like on the coastal markets, the blue states like we this is why we tend to invest in more red Republican states, not to say anything politically, but typically the landlord laws are on our side. And, you know, I'll be honest, like the Socialist Republic of California, a bunch of whiny babies out there, like in the red states, people have a lot more honor out there and they pay their rents.
1: I don't know why, but that just makes so much sense. I used to be so left and now I mean in business mentality I'm more capitalist than ever and like
0: I don't care I just focus my time and energy on what makes the best business sense I I have no political affiliations to me the color of money is green I don't care if I'm red or or blue or whatever the other one is right like it's just you gotta skate where the puck is going and I think so many people waste so much time politically one way or the other where it's not not non-value-added So much energy,
1: all of their energy on that too. Nonsense. Um, No, but that's a great point. Like 50 different states, you've got 50 different games and it's ultimately finding an opportunity that's going to work.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I pick 50 states, Florida, Texas, Arizona, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, Georgia. You you pick those starting, pick out of that team. It's like picking the top five NBA players of all time. You know, these people waste a lot of time doing that. You take, pick those, anything in those six states, you're gonna blow the other 44 states out of the water.
1: Dude, I don't understand people that gamble on sports and I'm like, why would you not invest in this industry? Like, <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer. Like, I mean, yeah. that, that four, six states will outperform the other 44 easily.
1: Yeah, well, dude, thank you for sharing the wisdom. I've been It's been nice to have you on and get to meet you and learn a bit more about you as well. Um, so just last or last few questions, who are some of your biggest role models?
0: Um, I don't really have any. I mean, most people out there are just internet gurus, fake celebrities. I mean, I I just take a lot from other accredited investors that are the most quiet people. So everybody's people... has everybody has their quirks. Everybody has their things, but I just try and take you know something from hundreds of people that I meet.
1: That's a great point, though. Like looking back at it, like it's taken me twenty year, twenty eight years to have this realization. Like, what's the fuss about obsessing about celebrity? nothing (laughs) it's a very good point yeah Uh, you know someone who's
0: and the most successful people are the most quiet people you never see right yeah Um,
1: it's true well i was gonna say like warren buffett and charlie munger i only found them when i looked for them but you know if you were told to to look up to them when you were younger just probably make you a lot better or make people in general better with money and then so lastly what's something you learned recently that you think is really important worth
0: sharing i've met a lot of people in the past couple years who invest in dozens of syndication deals and are walking around with a half a million, million dollars of passive activity losses in their back pocket. And they don't really have to pay taxes for the next decade if they don't choose to.
1: That's wild. And so if someone wants to do that, where's the first step for them to go? Simple passive cashflow.com?
0: Sure, sure. (laughs) But you got to go buy a rental property, right? It's going to take you a while to get into those types of deals, but you you got to get your net worth up. And uh, you know, it's gonna—it's not easy, but it's simple.
1: Well, I just passed six figures for the first time a couple of days ago, so at least I'm ecstatic about that, and I'm you know planning my next, uh, my next. Yeah, month.
0: and that's the hardest part, right? Like you know they say the space shuttle takes what half the amount of fuel to get one inch off the ground. That is totally true with the first hundred grand or first four hundred grand, I think.
1: I just got to make that's... sure I don't lose it. That's the right rule number yeah. one.
0: Yeah. Well, cash flow, right? Don't yeah. invest or appreciation.
1: No, no, exactly. Um, awesome. Well, thanks, man. This has been a lot of fun. So yeah, just quickly, last last time, where can people find you online?
0: Uh, simplepassivecashflow.com uh, podcast. And then the website has a, a lot of uh, guides. Um, people are looking to do uh, single family homes, get started, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash turnkey. Uh, there's also a syndication guide on there somewhere. But yeah, sorry, guys. It's a little all over the place. The engineer made it. Um, but yeah, if you don't, if you can't go through the material, this stuff isn't probably for you
1: yeah. That's okay. Progress, man. People yeah, the people no. that need it or that, that are there for it, they'll, they'll get there. So thanks yeah. a lot. Man. It's been fun.
0: Cool. Thanks yeah. for having me.
1: And that is it for episode 78, everybody. If you want to learn more about Lane or check him out online, you can get all of his information in the show notes. But let that be the perfect example. The more you go down the rabbit hole to start learning about money, the more you realize that you do not know. But I do hope you got some value out of that episode. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested enjoyed this episode please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals and if you wouldn't mind going to leave a rating or a review i would really appreciate it as it helps out my podcast and i love to know who's listening this is your host jordan highly signing off stay highly invested in yourselves everybody till next time